Good morning, everybody. Nothing, I just... <laughs> hey, good morning. So uh, let's get started here. Uh, actually, quite a few announcements. Uh, let's get started with that. Happy birthday to Ashton, whose birthday was last Monday. Ashton, can you stand up? Where are you? There she is. How old are you? Nine? Happy wow. birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ashton. Happy birthday to you. How old are you now? <laughs> okay, next is uh, Pastor Bill wanted me to announce this. Uh, Lauren won the spelling bee for the third grade class. Stand up. So she got a nice trophy. Good job. Good job, Lauren. So if you need to spell a word, right over here. And as you all know, uh, we got graduation weekend going on with uh, Bell Plant and Benton uh, doing their graduation ceremonies today, and I believe Prairies is next Saturday, I think. Okay. So uh, real quick, so congratulations to Nate Petrozelka, parents of Bruce and Virginia. Uh, Samantha Furman, parents, what's that? Son. Nate Petrozelka, the son of Bruce and Virginia Petrozelka. Samantha Furman, the daughter of Jeff and Jenny. Uh, Neil Lefebvre, the son of Dale and Chris. Uh, Taryn Hammes, the daughter of Dan and Colleen. And uh, Johnny Becker, the son of Steve and Deanna. So congratulations, guys. Yes. Yes, Titus Thompson. Uh, Titus is not here today. They're out at his daughter's graduation. Her daughters, okay. I'm sorry, I don't know all this stuff. So, <laughs> see, my wife needs to be doing this because she keeps track of all those things and knows everything. Yeah. So, <laughs> so real, real quick, this is an expository type teaching where we go through the different books of the Bible verse by verse, and we are currently in the study of Romans. Each Sunday, we pass out our grace and actions, which contain a summary of the prior week's teaching, as well as class notes for you to follow along this morning. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be sure we are in fellowship with the Father. We do this by taking a moment of silence, allowing time for each one of us to properly confess any known sins to the Father. As stated in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for this day that we may assemble together as fellow members of the body of Christ and study your almighty word. We give thanks for every individual you've led to your service here this morning, those among us in the chapel, those listening on the internet, and for anyone who may hear this message at a later date. Thank you for our current study of Romans. We pray this service draws us closer to you and that you open our hearts and minds that we may hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning. May we take what we have learned and apply it to our daily lives. Challenge us to extract our spiritual nourishment and to grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask that you continue to bring us wisdom and give us strength and perseverance in our trials. Help each one of us to learn in the liberty of your grace, freeing us from legalism, works, and fears attacking us daily, always keeping you in thought and prayer, bringing glory to you. 
Thank you for providing us with every spiritual blessing. We thank you for the precious gift of your Son, providing, providing us forgiveness of our sins and our so great salvation. We also give thanks for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, serving as our mentor and teacher and bringing your word alive for us. Thank you, Father, for the blessings and answered prayers of this ministry. Thank you for the provisions of this building in which to meet on a consistent basis. We also give thanks for the individuals you have raised up in their positive volition to this doctrinal ministry, giving of their time, talent, and treasure. Continue to open doors of opportunity for this ministry to proclaim the gospel message to the world. Thank you for the gift of our pastor and his faithfulness and dedication to teaching your word. Supply him his spiritual and temporal needs. Grant him encouragement through your word. Offer him protection from the attacks of the enemy. And give grace to him that your message is spoken with accuracy and clarity, delivering your full counsel. We thank you for the blessings and privileges we have in the United States. We pray for our leaders, our president, vice president, and cabinet members. Give them wisdom, moral courage, and conviction in leading this nation according to your will. Thank you for men and women in military service. Give them each courage, strength, and knowledge to fight the battle abroad, keeping our nation safe, knowing you're in full control. Thank you for those providing local services, such as law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, and others who commit to our safety and security here at home. We pray for those who may be experiencing trials and tribulations at this time, whether it's health, financial, or anything that may be troubling. Lead them to your word for comfort and to continue forward in faith. We also pray for our high school graduating students, that they continue to come to you and your son in faith and prayer for guidance and direction as they take their next steps in life. Father, allow each one of us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. Let us be thoughtful and considerate and do nothing to disturb or distract those who are serious students of the Word of God. Father, we thank you for who and what you are. May honor and glory be yours. We offer you these prayers upon the merits of Christ, aware of being in union with him and seated at your right hand. In his glorious name we pray. Amen. Would you please rise? You ready for me? Okay. Holy, holy Lord, you are my strength and my high tower. Holy, holy Lord, you're the rock on which I stand. Holy, Holy Lord, I put my trust in your great power. Holy, holy Lord, my salvation is in your hands. Oh, Jesus, your faithfulness is to me a mighty fortress. I rejoice in your love. I rejoice in your love. Oh, Jesus, your victory. Is the truth that sets me free. I rejoice in your love. I rejoice in your love. Holy, holy Lord, you are my God. There is no other. Holy, holy Lord, I will lie beneath your wings. Holy, holy Lord. You are my shield and my defender, holy, holy Lord. When trouble comes, you cover me. Oh, Jesus, your faithfulness is to me a mighty fortress. I rejoice in your love. I rejoice in your love. Oh, Jesus. 
truth that sets me free I rejoice in your love 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 Maybe you see it. You're the love of my life There's no one else above you No one compares You're the love of my life Who died and rose again for me Who always cares You're the one who's come and captured my heart And drove away the fears in my life Sitting at your feet is my place Hearing your word You're the love of my life Who showed me what true love is through sacrifice You're the love of my life The one I always turn to to get advice You're the one who's turned my whole world around And given me the strength to go on Know you is to love only you and give up one's life. Oh, you're the one I've always wanted to be like. Oh, help me, Lord, to be all you want me to be and hold my hand and lead me on. You're the love of my life The one who knows me better than I know myself You're the love of my life Who drew this helpless sinner to himself You're the one who gave me a purpose in life And I'll be out of love and to give To love you is to know only you and take up one's cross Oh, you're the one I've always wanted to be like Oh, help me Lord to be all you want me to be And hold my hand and lead me You're the love of my life There's no one else above you No one compares Prep school, you guys can come.
All right, uh, good morning to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 15, verse 7, please. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Thank you, Trent, uh, for doing the announcements and the opening prayer. You always do a great job. Thank you, uh, Gina, for doing the uh, grace in action, the notes you have in front of you, and the summary of this week's classes. She always does a great job on those. And uh, thank you for Eric back there. He's sitting in for Titus. And Jody, she went to see her daughter's graduation, as uh, Trent noticed, uh, noted before. And uh, he's, Eric's sitting in there doing a, he's, he's taking over uh, for Spock back there. You know, it's like the Starship Enterprise back there. So he's back there and helping us out. And thank you. Uh, congratulations to all the grad, uh, birthday uh, people here, all the kids, and also the, um, the graduates. That's pretty cool. I remember when I graduated not too long ago. <laughs> it seems like ages ago. 1980. We had our, our largest, in the, his, the hometown I came from, Norwood. It's a suburb of Massachusetts, like a lot of you know. And, it's about 30,000, 35,000 people in the town, even back then. But anyway, they, we had the largest graduation, graduating class in the history of Norwood High School, and uh, it was over 800 people. And uh, you, you felt lost in the shuffle back there. It was pretty funny, but uh, um, I just remember that. It just seems like yesterday, and before you know it, you'll be 48 and old and decrepit like me, kids. So just something, no, just kidding. But uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's a great thing, a lot of the kids in this ministry, though, you're, you're so much ahead of the game, and I... I just keep you guys in prayer that you guys all, you know, like the teen classes and the young people listen to the Word of God, that, you know, you have a, you know, you're getting exposed to the Word of God at a young age. And I was never, you know, I was raised in a Catholic background, and most of you know, you didn't get a lot of the Word of God in there, and you had a lot of ritual, but, um, you know, you guys, you young people are getting the Word of God and being exposed to it. So uh, it's, you know, God can use you guys. Don't Don't ever think that God can't use you. All the... You know, if you look in the Old Testament and even the New Testament, there are a lot of people that God used that were young people. Um, Apostle John was probably like a late, in his late teens, early 20s when he followed the Lord, when he walked with the Lord. You had David who killed Goliath probably as a teenager, late teens. Jeremiah was a young man. So there's a lot of guys in Scripture, a lot of people in Scripture that were young people, and God can use you guys. And uh, I just pray that you guys continue forward and and stick with the, the teaching of the Word of God, stick uh, with the teaching of the ministry, and um, because you're going, to be a lot, you're going to have a lot better go of it. I'm not saying life is going to be easy, but you're going to be able to have a, handle the adversities in life and bring glory to God. And, and so I just keep you guys in prayer, you young people, that you, you don't get distracted by the devil's world that's out there. There's a lot of things that distract you, take you away from God. And uh, I just pray that doesn't happen. So you should be in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. And, and we're going to continue with our study of the book of Romans. And uh, it's actually, a, a, we're going to do verse 11 this morning, Romans 15, 11. We're going to see that Paul is going to cite another Old Testament scripture, Psalm 117, verse 1 to be exact, to support his conviction that the Father's redemptive purpose through his Son, Jesus Christ, includes not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And these statements that Paul's making in verses 9 through 12 are primarily directed, uh, they're both directed to Jew and Gentile believers in Rome. But it's interesting, uh, Paul makes these comments, and we take them for granted here in the 21st century about the Gentiles worshiping Jesus Christ along with the Jews. We're all, you know, Gentiles, somebody who's not Jewish racially. And we take that for granted because the church is primarily Gentile and has been that way since the midway point of the first century, and maybe even earlier. 
So we, you know, we, we look at Paul's statements and we don't think anything of it, but, you know, we're going to see this morning that we're fulfilling prophecy, Old Testament prophecy. The fact that you're sitting in this, ch- in this chapel, you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ as a Gentile believer, you're worshiping Jesus Christ, you're singing your, the congregational song to Jesus Christ, you're listening to the teaching of the Bible, the mind and thinking of Christ, and you're worshiping Jesus Christ, which is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The Gentiles would prophesy in the Old Testament that they would bring, they would give glory to God, that they would praise God in song. And this is actually a fulfillment of it right now, these Old Testament prophecies that Gentiles would, would worship Jesus Christ and give praise to Him and rejoice over Him. But it's also going to find its perfect manifestation during the millennial reign of Christ, which we've been studying in our Day of the Lord series, which so is kind of coming all together. So it's kind of exciting when you look at the Bible. A lot of times we think of these things as being off in the distance 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, and they have nothing to do with us. The things that we've been learning in Romans are, have everything to do with us. They were written primarily to us. And so we have uh, Paul. It's interesting that what Paul's doing in this chapter is also, and I brought it up Thursday, is going to help us in our, in, with our local assembly, is that, remember, Paul in Romans 14 was addressing issues about you know, dietary regulations. Jewish believers thought you had to still be under the law. There were certain foods you couldn't eat and certain foods you could eat. Well, that was under Old Testament Israel. The strong, they knew that you could eat all foods. Well, remember what he told the strong? I want you to love, be patient with those weaker believers that don't have the same convictions as you. And the weaker believers, who were primarily Jewish, they were to, they were to learn the teaching of Jesus Christ, and they were to accept it by faith and live their lives accordingly. So then he comes up in Romans 15:7 and says, to, to bring it all together, I want you to accept one another. The, the weaker believers were primarily Jewish, and the, and the, the strong were primarily Gentile. Some of the strong were Jewish as well, like Paul. But either way you slice it, they were to get, accept each other. They were to have fellowship with each other. And they were to do that because it, that's what you were designed for, is what he's telling them in Romans 15, verses 9 through 12. You and I were designed and planned. It was God, part of God's eternal purpose that you and me, as Gentile believers, would worship Jesus Christ along with Jewish believers. Now, I don't think there's anybody in here that's Jewish, that's a Jewish believer, but there's going to come a day if we if we don't come in contact with a Jewish believer in this life, in the millennial reign of Christ, when we will all be there, we'll be in the midst of Jew, it will be Jewish and Gentile believers giving glory to God. So right now we're having a manifestation of the fulfillment of prophecy right now as we speak, because Jewish uh, it was told in the predicted in the Old Testament scriptures that Gentile believers would worship along with Jewish believers the Lord. So Paul is very great, it's excellent what he does in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here in Romans 15, is that to encourage them to welcome each other into fellowship and to have fellowship with each other and not divide and have disunity over stupid and petty things, non-essential things, like the dietary regulations of the law. He said, it's interesting, he says, he tells the Old Testament, he tells the Jewish believers that, you know, it's predicted in your Old Testament scriptures that those Gentile believers would become, they would, Gentiles would come to faith in Jesus Christ and worship Jesus Christ. And you Gentile believers, your salvation is based upon the Jewish, the promises to the Jewish patriarchs. Because remember, we saw last week, God said to Abraham that in you, Abraham, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It says in Genesis, uh, Genesis 22, 18, that in your seed, your descendant, Jesus Christ, 
all the nations of the earth, earth will be blessed. All the Gentiles will be blessed. And that is, you know, that he's telling the Jewish believers that don't divide with the Gentile believers over non-essentials because they're part of God's plan too. So you're both in the plan of God and it's part of God's eternal purpose through his son that you would worship him and his son. Gentile and Jewish believers doing so. So this also tells us what our plan is as a church. We've known it many times in the past that we're to uh, grow up to spiritual maturity, to become like Christ. That's as individuals. As a church, we're to get the gospel out. And that's why everything we do here, the, 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 fine, uh, the, the, uh, the internet, the, uh, your evangelism of people in your area, that is all to get the, propagate the teaching of the gospel. Your money goes toward that so we can get the gospel out. And all these things, are that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. It, that's the number one priority of the church. Not to do get involved in social activism. We're to get the gospel out because that's going to solve the world's problems. Salvation is through the gospel and you and I have the message that can save sinners, both Jew and Gentile. That, and that's the message we have. And as we get further into Romans 15, we're going to see that Paul, you know, he, he was so dedicated to the gospel and there were so many people that helped him do that, get that word of God out, just like many of you helped me get the word of God out. Couldn't do it without you. Paul recognized he couldn't do, do it without other people helping him. He was part of a team and that's the way we should look at our situation. So we're finding in this chapter of Romans 15, it's such a practical book because it's teaching us how to have unity. It's teaching us that we should have unity. It's teaching us that we're being, we're fulfilling prophecy. The fact that us Gentiles are getting saved. We're also, we're showing that, uh, we're also seeing in this chapter that it's part of God's plan that we get the gospel out. That that's very important to God. He wants, he loves all men. He desires all men to be saved. And so we're get, by getting the gospel out, we're showing God's love for all mankind. Because the God, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and then to the Greek, the Gentile. And he says the Jew first because salvation promises came through the Jewish people first. And so Jesus told his disciples and himself, he did the same thing. Go to the Jews first and then you went to the Gentiles. Because the Jews have priority, not because they're better, but because the promises to the patriarchs had to be fulfilled. And that's what Jesus came to, to do. So this morning what we're going to study, as I noted earlier, we're going to study Romans 15, 11. And in this passage, Paul cites... Psalm 117, verse 1, to support his affirmation and Romans 15, 8, and the first statement in verse 9, that God's redemptive purpose through his Son not only includes the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And, you know, in the, in, here in the 21st century, it's not a big deal that that statement. But in the first century it was, because Jews, the Jews had great racial prejudice toward the Gentiles. They lost sight of the fact that this God wanted this, the Jews to be the nation to evangelize the world. They lost sight of that, the Jews. They lost sight of their identity. They lost sight of the purpose they were supposed to be, that, that God had for them. They re didn't recognize the fact or lost sight of the fact that they were a kingdom of priests and they were designed to tell about the, 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 the God of Israel. They were to, to proclaim His excellencies, it, it, all His attributes. They were to talk about Him to the Gentile nations. Instead, they were antagonistic to the Gentile nations. They were very antagonistic. In Paul's day, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. And that was not the attitude that God had toward the world. 
You know, there's a book we're going to study. I might as well let it out now. When we go back to the Old Testament, we're going to do the book of Jonah. And Jonah is about God's attitude. One of the things about Jonah is about God's attitude toward the human race. He sent Jonah, who was a very popular prophet in Israel, very well known, to send him to a nation that were a bunch of butchers, like worse than the Nazis. And these people were arch enemies of Israel, and God sent Jonah to go and evangelize these people. God desires all men to be saved. God has a love for all men. Look at Romans 15, 7. Therefore, he says, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, a title for the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God or because of the faithfulness of God, in order to confirm the promises given to the fathers. The first reason for Jesus becoming a servant to the Jews if it was because of the faithfulness of God, was to confirm the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Promises, remember, that included international promises that salvation would come through the Jews. And in particular, the greatest Jew, Jesus Christ. Here's the second purpose in verse 9, related to us and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As we saw the word mercy there, talks about grace, God's grace, and mercy is involved in grace. Now to support that, those statements... In verses 8 and 9, he now quotes Old Testament scripture to back it up. He's trying to prove to his audience that this is in the Jewish scriptures. It, it, my teaching coincides, the gospel that I teach coincides with what the Old Testament scriptures teach. That's what he actually said in chapter 1 too. He says, as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. That's Jesus Christ talking to the Father here. I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. So Jesus Christ is going to, at one point, when we're in the millennial reign, we're going to be, he's going to be in our midst. And he is going to give glory to the Father for us. And, and, and praise the Father for, for, for his, his glory, or for his, uh, his faithfulness. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. I'll sing the praises of your character and nature. That tells us Jesus Christ sings, by the way. Look at verse 10. Again, he says, or it says, as we saw, he quoted in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32, 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, his people being Israel. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples, and that again is referring to Israel, praise him. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David, uh, Jesus Christ, was the descendant of King David whose father was Jesse. And God made a promise to David, 2 Samuel 7, 16, that a descendant of yours would sit on your throne forever. And Jesus Christ will sit on the Davidic throne, as we saw in our millennial reign series, during his millennial reign. Then he, again, he says in verse 12, and again, they shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises, it talks about his resurrection, we'll, when we get to that we'll show you, to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope or have confidence in. We're doing that right now. Who do we place our faith in? The Jewish Messiah. Us Gentile believers put our faith in the Jewish Messiah. That's being fulfilled as we speak. You're fulfilling prophecy, you and I. And it's going to find its ultimate fulfillment in the millennial reign of Christ, which we've been studying. Now let's look at verse 11 in detail. He says, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples... Praise him. Again, Paul's quoting from the Septuagint translation of Psalm 116, verse 1, which is in our English Bibles, Psalm 117, verse 1. Now listen to me. The first century church, 
they were, the, the New Testament was in the process of being written. Their Bible was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which was the Septuagint. Its history is, it was, just, it was, uh, put together by 70 Jewish scholars at the behest of the Jewish people because they didn't speak the mother tongue, Hebrew, which the Old Testament scriptures are written in. They, because of the dispersions, they, they were uh, Greek speaking, like the rest of the Roman Empire. So they came up with this translation in a city of Alexandria about 300 BC. And this was the Bible that, that the, uh, Greek speaking Jews and Gentiles of the first century used. And Paul quotes from it here. And so we see that he quotes from it from Psalm 116, verse 1, in the Septuagint, which is in our Bibles, Psalm 117, verse 1. It says on the board from the Net Bible translation, Praise the Lord, all you nations. And when he's talking about the nations, he's talking about the Gentiles, distinguishing the nations from Israel. See, God looks at the world as Israel and the Gentiles. So he, that's the two groups, racial groups. Remember, the first Jew was Abraham through circumcision. Prior to, Abraham was a Gentile. He became a Jew through God's power, through, the circum, through circumcision. So he was the first Jew. He's the new racial species. And the church is the new spiritual species. But Abraham, he's a very important individual in the history of the world. And the covenant that God made with him is very important because, again, that covenant included promises to Abraham that in your descendant, Jesus Christ, all the nations will be blessed because they'll be blessed through faith alone and Christ alone, those Gentiles who accept Jesus Christ as Savior. It's interesting why Paul chose this particular psalm. In Psalm 117, verse 2, that verse presents the reason for the praise is that God's grace and his faithfulness, which is why Paul chose this psalm. If you look at... Uh, if you look at Romans 15, look at verse 8 again. He says, and for the, he says in verse 8, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, the Jews, because of the faithfulness of God on behalf of the truth of God. Why? Here's the first purpose. To confirm the promises given to the fathers. But notice that when he says on behalf of the truth of God, that talks about the faithfulness of God. And then it says in verse 9, And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Or in other words, his grace. So right there, that's why Paul chose Psalm 117, verse 1, in this quotation here, because in context, the psalmist is praising God for his grace and his faithfulness. So he chose this psalm, Paul did, because Romans 15, verse 8, and Romans 15, 9, the first statement, teach that Christ has become a servant to the Jews because of the Father's faithfulness in order to fulfill the promises to the patriarchs. Why? Another purpose, so that the Gentiles glorify the Father because of his grace policy. You and I, when you thank God in, in prayer, thank him for his grace. I hope you do that. Every day, you should thank God for everything you have. Your grace, the faith, the salvation. You're going to live with God forever. You're not going to burn in the lake of fire for all of eternity. That God treated you when you were his enemy in love and grace. Sent his son to the cross while you were his enemy. Raised you up and seated you with his son. Uh, Ephesians 2, when you were dead in your sins and transgressions, a holy God did that for you and me through the merits, of, on, based upon the, the object of our faith, the merits of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, God accepted us. He's done, that's called grace. You don't earn or deserve grace. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift given to us by God. And that's the thing, you know, you're looking for something to, you know, sometimes we all do this. We all get caught up 
and the everyday circumstances of life and politics and international and all this stuff going on around us and we lose sight of that we're blessed people. And that we lose sight of it and the devil tries to distract us and get us all worked up over these things that are peripheral, context. The, ish, the thing is, you're going to live with God forever for all of eternity because he's a gracious God. Grace means he gives you unmerited blessings. Unmerited blessings. Hold your place. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1. God's been merciful. You know when it says God's merciful, that means he's withheld judgment. When we sinned, he could have, and he would have been justified, of throwing down the gauntlet right there. Boom, you're dead. You're dead. Throwing you in the lake of fire. He could have done that to the devil when the devil sinned. Why isn't the devil in the lake of fire right now? Because God's a gracious God. Why didn't he, why didn't he throw us in the lake of fire right away when we sinned? Why didn't he do that to Adam when he sinned? Because God's gracious. That doesn't mean that God doesn't judge. He does. He judges all the time. And it doesn't mean that he's not going to execute the sentence against Satan. He will. And he will execute the sentence at the great white throne judgment against every unbeliever. But he wants all men to be saved. That's why he's trying to teach Jonah, the book of Jonah. Jonah had a self-righteous attitude and he didn't have the attitude of God. He, he was taught the attitude of God toward all men. So this is the attitude we need to have. That means that we have to look at the person who is, who's got AIDS, the homosexual. We gotta look at the Democrats, the Republicans. We gotta look at all people as they need Christ. You say they're all screwed up? Yeah, they need Christ. They're sinners, deceived by the devil, weren't we? They need Christ. Who's got the power of God for salvation? We do. We get the most powerful message. We have the message that can save people from lake of fire for all of eternity. We got the message that can give them uh, true love. True happiness, true joy that's not based upon circumstances or whether people like me or don't like me or whether I have a lot of money or I don't have a lot of money or whether I'm married or I have kids or don't. You have a, you have a message and I have a message that we to share with people that speaks of God's grace, his love for the human race and it delivers people from sin, Satan, this cosmic system. That's what God did for us. Grace, he treated us in a manner that we don't deserve and that's a blow to human pride. Look at Ephesians 2.1. And you would den your trespasses in sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the year, that's Satan, the, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, the unsaved. Among them, the sons of disobedience, the unsaved. We, the Christian, we too, and he was talking to Ephesian believers who were Gentiles. We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy, meaning he withheld judgment. Why? Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead not in Mind you, love is not sentimental like human love. His love was based upon his character and integrity, and we had nothing attractive about us. He's holy and perfect. There's nothing attractive about us. He didn't say Bill Winston because, oh, he's a nice guy. That has nothing to do whether he's a nice guy. For God's standards, Bill Winston was a wicked, wicked sinner, no better than Adolf Hitler and anybody other than the rest of the human race. 
They're all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we learn that? Romans 3? Absolutely. Grace, we, there's nothing good about us. Everything's about God. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, dead to him. We had no, you don't, didn't even have his life in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. He gave us eternal life. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're married to Jesus Christ. He sits at the right hand of the Father. That's how God views you. And I don't care if they call us the feel-good church. What the heck does that mean? We're supposed to live it, have it be a, a dirge? Oh, this is really a boring. I don't want to get out. You know, that's what they... No. If I'm telling you what God did for you, and if that makes us a feel-good church, then I'm guilty. We are by, we're saved by grace, and why shouldn't we rejoice over that? We should be a happy people. So we, that's where you are. That's how God views you, at the right hand of the Father. So why did he do this? So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, you don't have any merit, I don't have any merit, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Don't miss what he says next. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember, that could be us because we're Gentile believers too. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of provinces. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's the unsaved in your, your, your life and mine. Without hope, there's lost. Now we get the message that can bring them home to God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. For he himself, Christ, is our peace. Who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one man and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his human nature the enmity, which is what? The law. The law condemned us. We couldn't keep it perfectly, so we were condemned before the law, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself, Christ, he might make the two, Jew and Gentile, into one new man. We're the new humanity. The old humanity fell with Adam. It's been crucified at the cross. All those who believe in Christ are now part of the new humanity. God is calling Jew and Gentile. In the first century, the Jews were like, what? Paul, Peter, the Lord had to give Peter a vision. On three different occasions, Peter, it's all right to go to the Gentiles. Jew would never walk into a Gentile's house. If Peter, we lived back in the first century and we wanted to invite Peter over for a beer, Peter, you know, Peter wouldn't come over because a good Jew didn't walk into a Gentile's house. So here they are getting born again and saved and... Jesus is telling them, hey, you know, get, welcome the G Gentile believer. You know, welcome each other. Culture shock. Those pagans, they were living, you, know you know what the Gentiles did? Gentiles, like the Ephesians, oh, this is amazing. Ephesians, you know what? They came from a city and they went, worshipped a goddess named Diana and a slew of other gods. You know what was part of their worship? They went in to worship their gods with temple prostitutes. 
That's a fact. They were involved in gross immorality. These people were, you name it, they were, you could, they were decadent as you could be, like many of our American cities today. Decadent, decadent. And here the Jewish people, they were moral. They were moral. They had the law. They had the, given the law. I mean, for crying out loud, they, they were very strict compared to the Gentiles. And here now, they both believe in Christ, and now they have to get along with each other. Whoo! Man! And right here, Paul's talking about this. You guys got to get to get, get with a program, both Jew and Gentile. God's accepted you both through faith in his son. He's created a new humanity. Get used to it. You're going to worship with God, worship God forever together. Then look at, he says in verse 16, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he, Christ, came and preached peace to you, Gentiles who were far away. And peace to those who were near, the Jews. Because they had the, te- they were given the temple worship. They were given the Old Testament scriptures. They were given circumcision. They were given the covenant promises. Gentiles weren't. We studied that in Romans 9, 1 through 5. And verse 18, for through him, Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile believers, have access by one spirit to the Father. So then, You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. God's dwelling in his people. The Holy Spirit dwells your soul, and so he does mine. All believers have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit dwelling them. God came not to dwell in a temple, a building, The church is where the Holy Spirit's dwelling. He's in the bodies of Jew and Gentile believers. That's the church, not a building. They could burn the building down. They could send a tornado down. Satan could say, oh, let me take this down. Wipe out the building. Good, we'll just collect the insurance and build a bigger church. But the point is, you're not going to destroy us by knocking the building down. We're the building, the house. Look at verse 22. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit, by the Spirit. Now go back to Romans. Go back to Romans 15, verse 11. Look at Romans fifteen eleven. He says, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Now the word praise there, it's interesting. Let me put this on the board. Praise is the verb aneo. Aneo means to praise. It's correctly translated. And it denotes the joyful praise of the Lord Jesus Christ through song and the sense of singing of the excellence of his person. So it talks about singing. Joy can be expressed many ways and God's given us the gift of singing, the gift of having a voice so that we can use this voice to sing of him. Our, musics, our music shouldn't be about you know, you know, it should be about Jesus. If God's given you a talent to sing and play, it should be de- devoted to Him. If God's given you a talent to be a great carpenter or a great farmer, it should be all to the glory of Him. That's why God gave you, not to glorify yourself, not to make a million bucks and b- promote you. If God gave us our body, soul, spirits, and all the, the spiritual gift we have and all the other talents He's given us, And he's done that because he wants us to use these things for his glory. To praise him. This word talks about praising him. A joyful praise. God doesn't want his people moping around. 
He doesn't want his people feeling, getting dragged down about the political situation. Who's bringing glory? You're not bringing glory to God there. You're getting caught up in the world. Get your eyes off the world. Look at your eyes on Jesus. And look at your salvation. Think about it. When you're in prayer, take five minutes for crying out loud. And think about what God has done for you. Oh, it's Monday. I have to go to work. At least you have a job. Some people are out there selling their bodies to get work. Some people are slaves in another part of the world. You and I have it made. Not to mention we're saved. So we should be praising him. This is a command to us. Because we're Gentile believers. This, in the Septuagint translation of Psalm 116, verse 1, this verb, aneo, translated a Hebrew verb, which was halal. And this word was, this root, Hebrew root to this word, halal, was connected to the idea of singing. John, uh, David, King David, he's the one who organized the temple worship, and he had people that were, guys who just did the singing, who just did the singing in the worship of God. Part of the worship of God was singing in Israel. And singing is a part of worship of Jesus Christ here in the New Testament as well. Now, therefore, because aneo in Romans 15, 11 was used in the Septuagint to translate this Hebrew word halal, which, whose root is connected to singing, this word aneo in Romans 15, 11 means to praise joyfully in song the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is and what he has done. The word Lord, that speaks, of course, to Jesus Christ, because in Romans 12.1, all the way to Romans 15.13, it's always used of him. And you know what it means? Kerios is the word. And it, the word Lord denotes several things about Jesus Christ. One, that Jesus of Nazareth is equal to the Father and the Spirit. It's a title for deity. Also, it denotes his joint rulership with the Father over the entire creation and over every creature. It also denotes his highest ranking position as chief administrator in the divine government. Number four, it denotes his absolute sovereign authority as ruler over all creation and every creature. What are you worried about, the political situation? My king's on the throne. He's the one who, the, the king's heart, the president's heart, is like channels of water in the Lord's hand. Never forget that. He's the one who controls history. Not the Democrats or the Republicans, not the Chinese, not the Russians, not the banking community, not the Illuminati, not the, the, the conspiracy. No, he does. Everything works to his glory. You can't, evil only works, he can, evil can never defeat God's plan and never defeat, defeat Jesus Christ. He's all way ahead of them. And lastly, this word Lord denotes his victory over Satan. Do you know that Satan is a defeated foe and that your victory over him has been complete. God just wants you to take on faith what his word says. You crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ. Can we just read that? You raised and seated with Christ. The devil doesn't want you to know that and doesn't want you to know that that's the case, that that's the truth. He wants to distract us. He doesn't want us to know about our position in Christ because if we appropriate by that, appropriate by faith what the word of God says about us, we can knock down barriers that Satan has put up. God could use us mightily and defeat his, and, and, and his kingdom will be severely damaged. Then he says, all you Gentiles, let, he says, let, uh, let uh, praise, if you look at the verse again, in verse 11, he says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. All you Gentiles refers to each and every one of Paul's Gentile Christian readers in Rome, indicating that each and every one of them, with no exceptions, 
and that would, if we made the application, that's all of us with no exceptions, must continue to make it their habit of joyfully singing the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ for their so great salvation. Now that word that's translated praise, let praise in your Bibles, it's an imperative form, it's in the present imperative, and that's a customary present imperative. And what does that mean? It's forces for Paul's Gentile Christian readers to simply continue joyfully praising the Lord Jesus in song for who he is and what he has done for them. It denotes that Paul's Gentile Christian readers were to be characterized as those who joyfully praise the Lord for who he is as the God-man and what he has done and providing their so great salvation and manifesting the Father's grace policy towards them. Now Paul's statements in Romans 1.8, Romans 15, 14 and 15, and Romans 16, 19 all indicate that the Roman believers were already doing this. So why say this command? Why give this command? It's a reminder. He's simply giving the Gentile readers a reminder to continue doing what they were doing. It was designed to protect their fellowship with God, with the weak, who are primarily Jewish, and their testimony among the unsaved. Now, what's the application for us? Yah, to make it your habit of rejoicing. Not stupid, silly, walking around and put on a show. It means that when it comes time to sing, you should be walking around with joy, joy in your heart. Hold your place. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Hurry. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Let me show you this. If you are filled with the Spirit, throughout your day you'll have a song in your heart. Look at Ephesians 5.18. Hurry. Look at Ephesians 5.18. You were just at Ephesians. Ephesians 5.18. Now, this next command, I know it's getting to summer, and everybody, you know, hey, I like to have a, you know, a cold one too. Well, let's not go over the top and get smashed. Okay? That's sin. Look what he says. I didn't say that. Paul said that. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God's talking to us. And don't be drunk with wine. Don't say, well, it doesn't say wine there. Then maybe I could get drunk with a martini. <laughs> I know how some of you guys... Do not get drunk with wine. That means alcohol, guys. Beer... And now, uh, Mike's Lemonade, the, you know, the new commercial, you know, Mike, everything, okay? It's all right to have fun, have a couple of drinks. You're going to be drinking wine during the, the millennial reign. But, you know, we cross the line where now the flesh takes over and it's not part of the spirit. Yeah, you're filled with the spirit, it's not the spirit here. Look what he says, you can have fun without getting smashed, people. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That means stupidity. But be filled with the Spirit. Now look what he says. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. If you can't, you have a terrible voice, you think, well, you should be still singing in your heart to God. That's part of it. You know, that, if you don't have that, that means you need to get back into his word. You need to draw closer to God. It means you've been running away from God. You're drifting away. If you don't have that heart, that the Spirit is not influencing your soul and producing that joy in you, it's because you're drifting away from the Word of God. It's always we drift away and stray, not God. Then he says in verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Now go back to Romans, please. Go back to Romans 15, 11. And now we go to the Jews. He talks to the Jews now. He just talked to the Gentiles. Now he's going to talk to the Jews. Look at Romans 15, 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And then he says, and let all the peoples praise him. 
Now, let praise is the word that's can, is a, is a, uh, whose root, is, this word's a compound word that's translated let praise in Romans 15, 11. Let, pra- let him praise, let, what does it say? It says, let, and let all the peoples praise him. Let praise is the word epineo. And that word is, we have the preposition epi is tacked on to that verb we just saw earlier in the verse that was used in relate, relation to the Gentiles. So this compound word, composed of the verb aneo, meaning to praise, and the preposition epi, Epi, the preposition, intensifies the meaning of the verb. And it means to shower the Lord with praise. Shower with Him with praise. Why? What has He done for you? What has He done for me? He should be showered with praise. See, when you, when you, listen to me. You want to solve your problems? People are always looking for solve, it's a quick, quick solution to their problems. You can, oh, every time I get down, every time I get involved in self-pity, first thing I say, shut up. Now you, say, now you end up knowing you know the Holy Spirit. You, you learn enough of the Word of God. You say, shut up and listen to me, Bill. It's like, I'm talking to myself. It's, like, it's God talking to me. You just say, hey, start thinking about what God has done for you. What He's done for you in the past. Where you came from. You wicked sinner. Lost. No life apart from God. What is God doing for you now? What is He doing for you? What is He going to do for you in the future? Think about who God is Thank Him, praise Him, and you'll forget about your problems. Because your pro- God is bigger than your problems. Spend time praising Him, thanking Him in your heart. Take time out. Think about all the things you have to thank God for. You got oh, Well, gee, you know, um, you know I, 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 what, what can we complain about? Oh, geez, you know, I don't have... Uh, I'm, make, I'm not making six figures. Wait, some people don't make any money at all. Some people are looking for a job. Some people can't work at all. Some people are invalids. Some people are lying in beds and can never move. Some people are paralyzed from the waist down. Like a friend, a guy used to play ball with his kid, snapped his neck playing hockey. Who knows if he'll ever walk again. Teenager, 17. Had his whole life in front of him. He has a great attitude, the kid, though. We, what do we complain about? We should never complain about anything. We get... We're gonna, we have great crops here. We have the, this ground, the, the, the fields. We have corn coming out of our ears. I was going to use the other thing. Coming out of our ears. We got all kinds of, all kinds of good things. Beautiful. It's God's country here. What are we crying about? What are we complaining about? Democrats in office? Republicans in office? Come on. We got it too good. And not to mention that. We're not even talking about spiritual things. We're so, it's so wonderful what God has done to us. And we don't deserve any of it. We think we do, but we don't. Spend time thinking of praising him, but you can't praise him if you don't know him. The more you know this book, the more you have reason to praise him. Because the more, more you know about the person, hey, when you date somebody, you marry somebody, hopefully you get to know the person, right? And you appreciate them. Well, that's what you're supposed to do, right? You appreciate them, but you can't appreciate them if you don't know them. You, same thing with God. You can't appreciate God if you don't know God. The people who know God the most, they can really appreciate Him because they know more about Him. So let praise talks about showering the Lord with praise. In the Septuagint translation of Psalm 116, verse 1, this word, this Greek word, translates the Hebrew word shabak, which is used in the majority of instances in the Old Testament to praise God for His mighty acts and deeds. Paul chooses epineo, to acknowledge the deity of Christ and to emphasize the mighty acts of the Lord Jesus on behalf of born-again Jews since the word is used in the Septuagint to praise God rather than, uh, 
to praise God rather than man for his mighty acts. The word him is referring, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ again. And all the peoples, it's actually referring to the Jews because the word peoples there, laos, is in the plural and it's in a reference to Israel. And that's, we know that because the word has what we call an article before it. And it's anaphoric. And that means that the article saying that this word was used in the previous context. And who was people used of in, in the previous verse? Look at verse 10. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. People there is the Jews. So the next time people shows up again in verse 11, and it's got the article it's saying to the reader, the Greek reader, that the same people are being referred to, the Jews. So it's referring to the nation of Israel here. The adjective pas is used in a distributive sense, and it means each and every one of Paul's Jewish Christian readers in Rome, with no exceptions, he's making clear to them that they're to shower the Lord with praise. The constitutive, if the word, the command's in a constitutive aris, aris imperative form. That indicates to Paul's readers urgency. He's saying to the Jewish believers in Rome, make it your top priority to shower the Lord with praise for his mighty acts on their behalf and do it now. What was a mighty act? Saving us. You getting saved was a mighty act and you were first-hand witness to it. It's a bigger miracle than part in the Red Sea or creating everything with just the word. Bringing into existence that which didn't exist, the heavens and the earth, and bringing it into existence with just the word was not as great a miracle as saving you. Why? Because creating everything just had his volition, God's. Part of the Red Sea. One volition, God's. To save you, it took two. It took two to tango. He saved you because you responded to his love. He didn't make you believe. You were... You were humble enough to see your need and you believed, you trusted him. You made a non-meritorious decision. So you became saved and that was a mighty act because it took two volitions. You had to respond to God's love at the cross. So this, to summarize here, let's wrap this up and we'll go out with a song. To summarize, in addition to Psalm 1849 and Romans 15.9, the second statement, and Deuteronomy 32.43, which is quoted in Romans 15.10, Paul cites the Septuagint translation of Psalm 116, verse 1, and Romans 15.11 he does this, to further support his affirmation in the two statements in Romans 15.8 and 9, that God's redemptive purpose through his Son includes not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Why was he giving this, telling them this? He wants the Jew and Gentile believers to get along, continue to get along. Now, the passage contains two commands we saw. The first was addressed to people like you and I, Gentile Christian readers in Rome. It directs each and every one of them to continue making it their habit of joyfully singing praise to the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is as the God-man and what he has done to provide us our so great salvation. And secondly, as we just saw, Paul addresses the Jewish Christian readers in Rome. He directs each and every one of them to make it their top priority to praise Jesus Christ as well for who he is and for what he has done, for providing them their so great salvation. So both groups are to get along because it's been predicted. That's God's plan for you to get along in Christ. God has called you both out, Jew and Gentile, so that you could worship and serve him and his son, Jesus Christ. That's God, and, and there's nothing more wonderful and more joyous than worshiping and serving the Lord. 
There's nothing in this life, and you can try like King Solomon did. And the book of Ecclesiastes tells you that. You could try everything to try to make you happy and find fulfillment in life. You could do what Solomon did. Collect women like they were baseball cards. He had more women you could shake a stick at. Didn't make him happy. He had more wealth and money than you and I could ever dream of. Lived in a big, huge castle and had servants and gold and everything, and silver, and people waited on him hand and foot. Wasn't happy. He had, he had, he had the most wisdom given to him of any man. He knew more about science and nature than any man of the ancient world and probably of the modern world today. God gave him that wisdom. He wrote scripture. But the man wasn't happy. Ecclesiastes tells us. And you know what he says at the end of the book? He says, the, 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 the whole thing of the matter is to obey God, do his commandments, and worship him. That's what it's all about. That's where you get true fulfillment in life. Don't fall for the lie the devil will tell us. If you do this, you know, get, make, money will make you happy. A wife, a husband will make you happy. Kids will make you happy. I don't know about that one. I don't know. Kids make you miserable more than happy, I would think. Look at some of your wrinkles around on your faces. Like, come on! But they're children a gift of the Lord. Hey, but those things can give you only a measure of happiness. And everything can be taken away. You'll either be taken away from your whatever you have, or it'll be taken away from you. In the end, you have your relationship with God. That is the thing we always need to fall back on. Always praise Him. Always give Him rejoice over Him for who He is and what He did for you and I. Because He took us when we were His enemies and saved us. Sent His Son to the cross while we were His enemies. If that doesn't move your heart to worship Him, nothing will. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time, this study of word. We thank you for everyone here. And we pray that this message would touch their hearts. And if there's anyone here that hears my voice that has never been believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, I'm here to tell you that God so loved the world that he gave his uniquely born Son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. For the Father did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So the Father's given you a volition of free will, and you could say to the Father in your own words, that you believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. And you're saved not on your merits, but on the merits of the object of your faith, Jesus Christ. You don't have to give money to this church, walk an aisle, raise a hand. You've got privacy. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. You can say in your own words to the Father that you're believing in His Son. And you can then, you have done, made the greatest decision in your life. Now you're entered into the family of God and you will worship the Lord and, and you will serve Him forever and live with God forever with the saints and the elect angels worshiping and serving him and having tremendous happiness, a happiness this world cannot give us, the things of the world cannot give us, only that happiness that comes from God, from the Spirit, then you will experience it. But no one can make that decision for you. And if you do not believe, I must tell you, the Bible says that you're, you're, you're going to the lake of fire, you'll be judged. And God doesn't want anybody to be judged. He wants the Son, his son He sent His Son to the cross so that He might save all men. But he can't make you make these decisions. You have to make this choice. And it's easy. All you have to do is believe in his son and you're saved. It's easy because the son did all the hard work at the cross. Taking the nails, picking up that cross, being nailed to that cross, taking the crown of thorns, the abuse, separated, losing fellowship in his human nature with his father those last three hours, suffering the ignominy of the cross for you. Choice is yours. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved.
Father, we thank you and praise you for your Son. And we pray this message would help us and draw us closer to you in your Son, Jesus Christ. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Could our ushers come forward for the Sunday morning offering, please? Oh, that's right. Now is the time for us to help meet the needs of this ministry. And uh, uh, if you choose to give, it's between you and the Lord, as the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So let's bow our heads for, um, uh, for this offering. Father, we pray for this offering that it will be given out of love and appreciation for you and your son, Jesus Christ, and all that you have done for us. Father, we thank you for those who take part in giving, as well as those who continue to offer their time and talent to meet the needs of this ministry. Thank you for the blessings and answered prayers of this church, allowing us to meet our daily needs and to continue to provide the gospel message to the world. Thank you, Father, for those in our service this morning and for our extended congregation for their faithfulness and dedication to this ministry from around the world. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Sing to the 
alone Till you got Taking away the demons Till alone Till you got Taking away the demons Till alone Till you got Taking away the demons Everybody sing Best. Have a good day.